regardless of what you think about the Saudis' politics or religious beliefs or whatever it is, you need to engage the American Muslim constituency, which is the most diverse Muslim community on the planet. You think so? It absolutely is. All right. On the face of the earth, Pew, Gallup, they all back this. It's the most diverse Muslim community on the planet. This is Crossing Phase, the podcast featuring a Christian and a Muslim talking religion and politics. Your co-hosts, as usual, are me, Matt Hawkins, once policy director for the Southern Baptist Convention, and my friend John Penna, former director of government and international relations from the American Islamic Congress. For this episode, we're just going to hit some headlines and some recent events in American politics. John Penna, how's it going? Oh, so I'm not too bad. Are, are you Are you ever going to say we're the first only Muslim uh, Christian podcast? No, I, I, I didn't happen? I didn't want to make it the claim falsely, but I, I can't find any evidence of someone else doing it. So maybe we should say the only podcast featuring a Christian and a Muslim talking religion and politics. That's a good point. I think we're the first. Yeah. Nothing else. We can, we can, we can claim the first. That's our claim to fame. And yeah. even if this whole thing, you know, the, the ship sinks, we could say we did the first. <laughs> we were the first. You know? Somebody else succeeds you know? with it more than we did. We, we were the well, first. Like I said, we're going to, you know, it'll, you know, we know that fame's going to get to your head sooner or later and you're going to break up with me. We all know that, <laughs> you know, you're going to rule with an iron fist, uh, find a, you know, a more agreeable Muslim, a real Muslim, get it <laughs> a real Muslim, you know? And, uh, you know, so, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm, I, it's, uh, it's one of those days where it's just snowy in New York, you know, just snow, just blanketing. Nice. The environment here. So, how, many, so, you know, uh, how much accumulation do you got? I'm going to go with four inches. That's I'm going to commit to that number. That's nice. Four. That's good. That's a good. That's a good covering. You know, like an early morning dusting, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. And then you wake up uh, to the plows. You know, you got these guys who just live to drive that plow, and we already know that they plow the road, but they're coming around again and again. So um, you wake up to the plow slamming against the road and um, I have a really strange view from, uh, from my house. So it looks out towards the Hudson, Hudson River, uh, to, the, to the right. And it's just we're on a little sort of like knoll that looks out. And then to the left is the police station, which has a pillory in front of it, which always makes me think of you and the Scarlet Letter <sighs> and your ancestors. Like, yeah, I, every time I, I, I make the reference Se- to you. Separately, all the time. right? It's the Scarlet Letter. Separately, and my ancestors, right? I always, I always, I'm always making that statement to people. I, they go, "Oh yeah," like you know, and, I, and I'm like I'm like ninety percent sure this is halal to like Matthew and his his like, even if he has to say openly he's against pillories. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure his family had one at one point. I'm pretty sure they had a pillory, you know. So, uh, or at least were like Millers and made pillories, or a pillory was part of their. You know, so and it's, it's totally made up. But and I try, I still try to figure out if whether or not a police station should have a pillory. So they have like their sign, as you know, Kingston Police Department, and then it said, and there's a, and the pillory is part of the sign. And so I noticed, and I said, a part of me says, oh, okay, no big deal, you know. And the other side of me goes, it's not really a welcoming sign. You know, it's it's not really welcoming, <laughs> right? You know, like, Historic, yes, not exactly welcoming. 
So uh, I'll have to snap a shot and send it to you so we can post it on the website because it's right outside. And so I, you know, I, 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 I just one of those things where I look at it and I, I, I almost want to go and take a picture, you know? Yeah. Head in the pillory. Yeah, we used to we used to hit those on field trips when I was in school. Listen, pillories are fun. There was a place called Sturbridge Village. All right, Sturbridge Village is um, it's like it's like right on the border of Massachusetts and Connecticut, and it's uh, it's like a I don't know how to describe it, like a 19th century living uh, history town. Yeah, you know, everybody's dressed up in all this stuff. You know, I don't know. Everybody's drinking tea with with saucers. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the, the best, the, the most flavorful thing in the town is rock candy. Yeah. I remember rock candy. Yeah. We, you know, we, like, there's a place in West Virginia called Prickett's Fort, I think. And it was an old colonial era fort. You know, they would sell the candies supposedly that were from that era that typically included rock candy. And, oh, uh, what else? Uh, they're like peppermint sticks, but not in candy cane form. They were just like thicker peppermint sticks. Remember those? Right, right. Well, I'll just be honest with you. This is, they have like a, a working blacksmith there. This is the real deal. Like somebody's gardening and taking, you know, 25 hours to plant something instead of 15 minutes, you know? Uh-huh. And, uh, um, you know, there's a whole, you know, there's, there's a, you know, what are those, what are those things? Uh, uh, it's not a loom. But the thing that Rapunzel was working on, that thing, um, <laughs> with the wheel making a sweater or something, I don't know. And uh, I just remember going up there on the bus when I was a kid. This was like a big deal. And I, I don't have anything too memorable other than my friend decided that he's going to, they paid the fee. Uh-huh. And that meant he could eat rock candy in the, in the gift shop. Right. He got in trouble. He got in trouble for that. And then I was co-opted into getting in trouble too. I must have egged him on because I was a, you know, obviously encouraged people to do bad things. Right. So, um, which I, my argument you're is, not, is, you're I'm not an instigator at all, are you? No, I'm all about liberty, you know, freedom. So, uh, you know, that's it. There was no sign that said, don't eat the rock candy. Right. So, um, and I, so I was like, yeah, go for it. If you, I mean, what do you want from me? Don't I, you, if you need permission, you have mine. And if you're having <laughs> you know, a seven year old's permission, that doesn't mean anything. Right. I mean, but apparently my childhood friend felt like that was all the clearance he needed to eat the rock candy. That's funny. And he said, JT said I could do it, which then turned into, I'm somehow responsible for his indiscretions. Uh-huh. Uh, they look people up to me or listen to me or whatever, which I, I think that's all. I, mean, I'm, I just, I'm just a victim of, of uh, just a victim of Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. To be honest with uh, you. So the, we, <laughs> we're, we're coming up. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to get off of it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> New topic. I think we followed that rabbit trail far enough. We're coming off a week of uh, big clashes of religion and politics, and we got to get to some of that. Unsurpri- unsurprisingly involving evangelicals once again, of course. Well, we have this curious and one Mormon. So I, you know, I popped to you this thing, this, this, this Twitter deal where I just think it's a, it's a 
pretty terrible statement. I think he should keep his religion in his personal life. Yeah. Some have always worn halos uh, to hide their horns. <laughs> I don't understand that at all. And then Jesus reserved his harshest criticism for the Pharisees, hypocrites, wolves in sheep's clothing. It's pretty and remarkable a stuff. Quote, a direct quote from Jerry Falwell, Jr., about Mitt Romney, and I'm going. First of all, I, I I can't even. I mean, how do you even cut this apart? One is evangelicals are in the political realm, and if you're evangelical, then you can mix religion and politics, and it, it, it's it can't stay personal. It's got to be everybody's business. Uh-huh. Yeah, which is fine because we this is the country we live in, religious freedom. But Mitt Romney can't do it now, right? And I don't know if. So I mean, is so is Falwell? Uh, does he hate Mormons? Well, I I can't I answer think, that question. But I think that's an implicit. I I think that's an implicit Jerry Falwell saying, you know, he's talking about Pharisees, hypocrites, and wolves in sheep clothing. So Pharisees is definitely biblical. They not non-believers. Yeah. Right in Jesus. No, no, no. Pharisees were Jew. Uh, well, yeah, they. I mean, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. That's fair. Yeah. Right. But they they were Jewish so, people, so they believed in God. I'm asking you, is this a connection? Because Joe No, this is, is this is pure is guy, Joe Smith? This is pure power politics. Romney Romney is being attacked for bringing his faith into into politics because he uh he cited his faith uh, last week when he was um, explaining his vote, his one lone Republican vote um for uh, convicting President Trump out of the impeachment trial, right? And so, and so, I, I guess and so, and so, Trump's folks like Jerry Falwell Jr. are going to hit back. That's all. That's that's all that is. is. That's all that right. is. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, but he's doesn't he open see the problem? So that might be all it is. But here he says, you know, he's high, he says hiding their horns behind halos. <laughs> I mean, is that how much, how, 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 who, first of all, who is he to say that this is, that he has horns? Yeah. The guy has an opinion. Welcome to America. Mitt can do what he, he can do whatever he wants. Yeah. Just because he's not in line with your views doesn't mean he's the devil. It just means that he has a differing view. Yeah. And then, but, but, but Powell turns around and says, oh no, because it's not my view. He's obviously the devil, which is what that statement says. Yeah, I mean, it's, then, it's pretty it's pretty overreaching. I mean, it's one thing to say, tell someone hypocritically to keep your faith out of politics, but like to go say he's essentially then he does it. But then he but then he does it. He says then he starts speaking for Jesus. Who is he to say what Jesus that Jesus would weigh in on this? I, I don't know. I, this Jesus reserves his harshest criticism. I mean, how is that possible that this guy is Liberty University? Where's the, where is that? Where's Liberty University? In uh, Lynchburg, Virginia. It's a terrible name. They need to change the name of that town. Yeah, it's it's not great. Every time I see it on the map, I have friends that come from there, and I just say, can we – I mean, do you guys get that it just – it's just not good branding. Right. It's you know? not great branding. Where are you going to the music for the music festival? Lynchburg? I'll, I'll, I'll sit this I'll one pass. out. I'll sit it out. I'll pass. I'll sit it, you know, I, I don't know. There's a reason why. 
So yeah, that was the that was the impetus of our conversation was this Jared Falwell thing. I just don't get. And then there's a sort of stream here about it. You know, I I, I mean, like it just it's it's the stuff you and I deal with all the time. Yeah. Just freedom. It's, well, and it looks it, Falwell was mixing metaphors. He uh, he was using the. Uh, the halo and horns, so the angel and the devil uh, motif, but apparently he also likened Romney to the Lion King character Scar, who betrayed Mufasa. I don't know. I don't see. I don't. I don't know that. I don't. I don't know that one. But you're not. You're okay. not into Disney, Disney princes and princess movies. I watch. You know, my I have eleven godchildren. Um, eight of them are women. Are female. Um, I am at their mercy when it comes to watching any Disney, all of them, you know, all 11. Um, but there's like frozen is a yeah. big one. Yeah, yeah um, it is. Yeah. Especially and, with frozen uh, two having just come out in the fall. Yeah. So, you know, that's, and that I would say is a religion. The followers of frozen yeah. are a religious sect. Now. Well, the follow followers of Disney generally, right? There's a lot of uh, yeah. religious commitment there. And, and look, there's a pilgrimage. I have an uncle that all he and his wife take all their vacations there. So yeah. they do a pilgrimage every year. They're going sure. Hodge. They're there at that at the, the castle. They come, how many shirt sweatshirts do you need? Right. You know, let's just start with that. And then um, they're passionate uh, about it. Yeah, yeah, Disney. So I don't know. I always try to inject something other than Disney into yeah. the matrix when it comes to my godchildren. It's, it's not easy movie wise. It's not easy. Yeah. yeah. It's uh. my family's going later this year to Disney world. We're pretty pumped. Are we gonna, we're going to broadcast from there. We can broadcast from there. When are you guys going? Maybe I'll pop in. It's an easy flight. I think, you know? I think November. And everyone goes in November. My, my godchild goes every November. Okay. Well, it's a good time to go. Is it? I think. Weather-wise, it's good. It's not too hot. It's not It's not like smack dab in the middle of the holidays, which is crazy. Oh my God. So are you going to Are you gonna dress up like like the Star Wars guys? I'm not going to dress up like on? the Star Wars guys, no. There may, no or, there may or may not be some family-created matching T-shirts. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, is it going to be like an I'm with stupid and it's going to point? What, like, I'm, I'm well, not saying, it won't quite be that. It'll, it'll, it, may just, have, it, it may have it. It may have a no. I think I, I give my wife and uh, and her and our family a little more credit for creativity, but uh, they'll probably have like the family name on it somewhere and maybe some indication to Tennessee and uh, maybe some kind of Disney esque design on it. So the best T-shirt that I that so it's, it's this is the this is my suggestion on the front of the shirt says I was there you missed it yep on the back it's like Hawking's Disney 2020 I mean it's Great gonna shirt. it's gonna be a uh, you know some kind of semi cheesy um, family reunion like T-shirt that we'll only wear that week and probably never again okay. All right. Unless it's just outside uh, doing yard Where work or staying? something. Uh, I don't know. I think I don't know yet. We'll probably be on the resort somewhere. It's a big family thing going with my in-laws. Okay. Yeah. Is this the one you're always helping out in the garage? Oh yeah. You always have to get off the podcast. Yeah. Sometimes. 
Okay. So, so hey, right. so so I'm back on these evangelical things. Um, it's interesting to see that Jerry Falwell has gone after Mitt Romney for, uh, you know, is explaining using his faith in part to explain his vote over the impeachment stuff when Falwell very readily brings his faith uh, to bear in support of Trump fairly regularly. Right. It's okay to say, I, I, you know, my, my, because of my faith and the way I interpret things, I'm making this decision, you know, it, it is in, but invalidating for someone to, to invoke their faith when explaining why they made a decision, who's an elected official when, you know, Trump does it all the time. Right. Yeah. It, you know, um, it, it seems, it seems very intolerant of Falwell. You know, look, no one, we all know who Mitt Romney is, right? We all know that he's, you know, um, you know, had a troubled relationship with the president, even though he's voted 80% of the time with the president. Yeah. I looked that up. If anybody was going to jump ship, it was going to be him. It wasn't going to be Collins, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, cause she, what did she say? I think he's learned his lesson. You know, so. You know, <laughs> it's quite, it's quite a rationale. I, you know, I, I, I can't, I just can't, I don't know how she, I'll just be honest with you. I don't know how she looks herself in the mirror at night, to be honest with you. Um, but, um, people gotta be reelected. Is Collins up for reelection? I hadn't looked. Well, she's, she's just somebody who just, all she cares about is her seat. Um, and, well, and it's like most people, let, I mean, let, let's be candid. Romney himself won Utah in a far greater margin than Trump won his state. He he has some he has some political cushion to play with. Others others not he, so much. He may. Yeah. No. I, well, but yeah. King Collins is. Um, and and you know, it, the, the, it's the Kavanaugh thing, you know. It, yeah. it, you know these. You know the the. I don't. I just remember the female lawyers from her state speaking with her and doing an impassioned and and very thoughtful and coherent appeal to her. Yeah. And. I just, I, I think that she, she just is you know, burned down her constituency because she is afraid of conflict and wants to, she's trying, you know, just like most people and I think in this presidency, they're, you know, they're going to just going to, they're going to toe the line because they don't want to speak out because they're going to get savaged on social media. Um, you know, I was explaining that to my father you know, this weekend. I go, look, if, if you, if you step out of line, uh, you, you, you're you're done. You don't you don't have to be. You're not even. You're politically assassinated. You're so you're and your social media. You're assassinated, and you're asked. You'll you'll you, your career, your position, your influence, your access all disappears. Um, and I think it's a very very difficult position. A lot of people are in, whether you're Democrat or Republican, it doesn't matter. Um, maybe I'm picking on Collins a little bit. I just don't. I just. I just can't imagine the impassioned appeal in front of Collins over Kavanaugh and, and that, and, and her response to that, um, to her constituents and, uh, and, and then, and then her, she's trying to really never recover from that. Uh, I think with her constituency, but she's it'll, still yeah. telling the line. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Well, I mean, and she's, she's up for reelection this year. So, uh, she's definitely feeling the pinch. From both, from both sides, right? 
Yeah, and she's counting on the president's support to help her get reelected. But I, I'll be honest with you, I don't think the president, I don't think he's going to support her. I think, you know, I think he's going to see how she wavered and, you know, and say enough's enough. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, unless I'm not familiar with that that state, unless there's a serious primary challenger, I mean, it's either support her or lose a Senate seat. She's the, she's the incumbent. It'd be really weird. Nobody's going to win that state being more rightward than Collins. I don't, I don't know. I, I just, you know, I mean, it's, we're such a strange, let me put it this way. The Dems don't have it. They just don't have the mobilization. They don't understand that the playing field has changed. Yeah. They don't get that traditional politics isn't going to work. There's too much infighting. You know, they care about, they, they care about all the, different uh debates and and this and that and while all that that uh you know in, in you know engagement is happening with amongst the the democratic party the republicans are consolidating their power base and not but not only that they're playing in a digital and far-reaching and more dynamic uh way with the american people yeah and uh and and the the, the dems just don't get that the whole model has shifted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and, it's, and they, it's a, they're completely misreading or they're not even reading the 2016 election results at all. Oh, you know, well, you're, 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 millions and, of Americans, is, you know, vote for Trump out of disgust of, uh, you know, the Obama administration and, and uh, not wanting more of Hillary Clinton, not, you know, not wanting more of that kind of governing from Hillary Clinton. And all their primary so far is we're going to do that and more aggressively. And I mean, it's like completely oh, I mean, yeah. tone deaf. Bernie Sanders. Is this guy, is this guy high? Is he, is he living on this planet? I mean, I just don't get, I mean, he, I just don't get him at all. I don't understand how this guy could possibly still be in the race. Right. And on top of, and, and, and I just don't, no one's, ha, no one's having a meeting. That's the thing. If you, you know, if I was in charge of the Dems and, and, and here's the thing, they, they need to hire an outsider. They need to bring somebody in to, to bring all these people in, you know, all the candidates and just be like, Bernie, you know, these, these all sound like good ideas. And they're pandering to a small group, but they're terrible ideas. Somebody just needs to say that to him. No, I don't think anyone's ever said it to him. Well, when I he mean, turns to, back and says, to his credit, he's a true believer. Yeah, was, but so, so is a sadist. You know what I mean? Like I don't, you know what I, mean? I don't, I don't know what to tell you. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't, that doesn't negate that these are terrible ideas. And I just, you just say to him, look, this is a terrible. And when he says no, they aren't. I go, okay, why? Why? Can you tell me? Can you answer that? And the bottom line is he can't. Um, you know, Biden, you got to say, listen, Biden, you were you were a great candidate, but now you got the albatross of the Ukraine, and the, the president's going to spin that and burn you down to the ground on that. That's number one. Number two is you can't get a sentence out of your mouth. So you're done. Um, Pete, which I'm afraid to say his last name, which I have no idea. Who to judge? Say, who to judge? Who to judge? Um, I got, you can get it. Who to judge? Who to judge? Who to judge? Who to judge? <laughs> so um, I have to. I have to and and I'm just like he's articulate, but I think it's going to be very very tough because he's I don't know he's 37 he's 
But well, you know, he's he's the most articulate and seems the most fair in how he speak, speaks. Yeah. Um, you know, Bloomberg though. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Bloomberg's Bloomberg is is you know, he's like he's just a he's just a political warrior, you know. Yeah, he's going he's going warrior. after it with the YouTube ads and the internet stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um I think that uh you know, I, I just think Warren, I think all these other people, I just think everybody is just pandering to small sections. They're not giving coherent policy on how we're going to fix, how things are going to be done. Yeah. Look, how, what's going to happen with the economy? I want to, you know, if you're going to, the deficit's never been the, the reason why the economy's crank is deficit's high, our deficit is is increasing and our, and our, our, uh, uh, our debt is increasing. I mean, if you start burning on credit, of course, the economy's going to keep cranking. And there's supposed to be benefits. We're supposed to be able to pay that back, and and we haven't seen that yet. How are they going to deal with that? Yeah. That's what they need the well, hammer. Yeah, but that's only people like you and me who are policy wonks care about the policy stuff. This is going to be a personality election. I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. Bring, bring to you know, uh, live uh, streets of uh, streets of New York um, sirens behind John. Yeah, you like that. And everybody's hoping they go, oh, they're fi- they're finally, they're coming for finally. <laughs> hey, so, uh, I mean, and you mentioned two names, Sanders and Buttigieg, who have both, to their credit, been honest about how they feel about uh, the Democratic Party and uh, people who believe, you know, who are pro choice uh, versus pro life and right. said there's no place in the Democratic Party that they desire for people who are pro-choice or have any um, any difference of opinion on that issue. Uh, that's pretty pretty stunning. And I've got to tell you, you know, it's going to animate you know, religious conservatives even more so to double down with Trump, as distasteful as that is. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think that the challenge, it's, Again, they need to have they need to sit down and they need to bring everybody around in a circle and say, okay, Sanders, you're not you're not gonna win the presidency, but you're gonna you could be in the cabinet as the Secretary of Commerce. Do you know what I mean? Like or something. Right. They all need to sort of just consolidate. They need to say, look, you know, uh, you know, Warren, here's the deal. You know, you know what? We're gonna need somebody who's strong with this, you know, at you know, I, I don't know, agriculture. You're going to be, and they just need to consolidate and then have a single message and run. But that's not going to happen. I mean, if you ever, if you ever been to the CAP, the Center for American Power Progress, yeah, you know, the the the, the conversation will go from practical policy engagement to which personal pronouns everybody should be calling each other, and before you know, it, you're talking about nothing, right? And you're scratching your head, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, you know, and I and you know, I, I I last time I was through those doors, I had that conversation, and I just I, I was like, how do I know what to call you if you haven't told me, you know? And and you know, and we're in the middle of a policy conversation. I go, you know, you didn't address that person right. And they're like, what? And uh, well, how am I supposed to address an individual? Well, there are they. Well, how how many of them are there? And they said, they're they. I go, well, I, I was like, can we get back to the policy conversation? And they're like, well, you know, I think you offended this person. I go, I'm offended because no, I've been wanting to be called Supreme High Commander for years and no one yeah. calls me that. How about that? 
you know, and I think that's that's an example of how, where the party is. It's so caught in the minutiae yeah. that it won't, it doesn't think about, you know, the macro. It's all in the micro. Yeah. I mean, it's, and, it's not, it's not building a bigger tent. You know, it's not going, it's not trying to expand your percentage of the electorate. You're just trying to animate, hoping your uh, people who already agree with you will be extra motivated to go out. You're just playing a numbers game. There's no, there's very little uh, on either side. People trying to win people to their view of governing. None of that. None of that. Yeah. No. It's it's there's it's look I, personal pro, fine. You know I'm not going to die on that hill. Great. Personal pronouns are great. Whatever you want to call yourself. But if we're talking practically in a conversation about policy, about this, about that, then we can't. And as somebody goes who's an expert in rabbit holing conversations, <laughs> you know, like, you, you know I, you're going for your PhD. That's what I have my PhD in. So it, I, you know, I get it, but you know what it's like when you're on the hill and you, and or when you're in, when you're in the beltway and you have limited time, specific meetings to talk about specific things, to figure out what's going on, try to get consensus. You don't have time for nonsense. And there's a lot of nonsense going on. In a, in a Democratic Party, I, I would argue there's a lot going on in the Republican Party. For sure, but while no they're the majority, while the president is doing what he's doing, his his way is more effective. If you just cut all the nonsense out, you say his way is effective. He's communicating directly with the, the, the American people. Yeah. There is a way in which he communicates that creates enough hooks across the entire spectrum of the media um, that that the the Dems just don't they just don't get it. And, you know, three things that they should do right now that they haven't done is tell Hillary Clinton to just get on a boat and disappear the next year. Be nice, That's the John. first thing. <laughs> I didn't say she should. I'm just saying she just, anytime she opens her mouth. Just take it, a long vacation. Yeah, just take a long vacation. I mean, look, you know, look, Obama's already on vacation. We don't even know where that guy is. So he's not even, the guy's nowhere to be found. Like, it's like his entire four years of his second presidency. It is interesting. It is interesting. Uh, You haven't seen much from him yet. Although I think that's probably pretty standard for um, uh, former presidents during uh, primary seasons. They're cautious to weigh in too soon. Maybe, but, you know, he didn't weigh in on his entire second term. You know? Well. (laughs) You're there. You know, like he was a. He did lots of he did lots of executive orders on during his uh, second second term. Well, he was he was like he was like he was like he was like hidden away in the basement of the White House, just having dinners like Hitler's last days there. I don't know what he was doing. Well, he you know I, he tanked the relationship with Congress, and so nothing was going to happen there. So all he could do was administrative action. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, I I think that you know they you know they got to mobilize Obama. They have to tell Hillary to just. You know, you just need to get on, get on a boat, just go to an island, do whatever, but don't say anything. And stop. And the third thing is, stop using the word deplorable. Right. Stop it. It's a, it's a terrible word, and it's always associated with Hillary. Yeah. So the second you bring that out, and and here's the thing, you can't call other Americans deplorable. You can't. No. It's not the way to do it. You know, I, look, I I get criticized all the time for working with this administration. And I can honestly say that you know, I, I haven't taken one penny from the administration, not one penny. Yeah. I've never paid 
me to do anything. Um, and so it's been, you know, three years of pro bono work in, in service and for the Dems. They say, I, I'm in service to the president. Uh-huh. And the Republicans turn around and they say, well, you're never really going to be one of us because, you know, I'm a Hamiltonian Federalist. And I go, I, I don't care. My, my opinion is valued. That's why I have access. And, and I'm trying to operationalize programs, steer the ship in the right direction. Yeah. I'm not a Martin Luther King. I'm a third good marshal. I work in process. I'm like a protest <laughs> in the street. But, you know, and I'm not saying I'm like them. I don't, that's yeah. not what I'm trying to do. And oh, but I mean, if you, if there, there is always going to be a different administration. And if you protest and exit for every one of them, you'll never get anything done. Zero, zero influence. So not to say there's not, there aren't thresholds for, uh, you know, not participating. Um, look, I mean, people needed to participate with the Obama administration if they wanted to get anything done, even, uh, even if they uh, objected to other policies. Mo- in most situations, you don't take your ball and go home. It's counterproductive. I just, I just don't, yeah, and, and I've, you know, I've been working with, you know, administration since Clinton, so I just, I do what I got to do, you know, and, uh, you know, and sometimes you got to bow out of the situations, but I've, you know, I've interacted with the entire administration up and down on religious freedom and security stuff, and I get criticism on both sides, and some people that won't talk to me, my, my you know, my, my father this weekend made a comment to me about, uh, you know, well, you're, you're helping the administration, I go, you know, I, yeah, yes. Yes, I am. But I also, you know, I, I go that, but two things could be right at the same time. I, unlike, unlike, I think a lot of people working in the administration, I spend quite a bit of time in making sure that we can, I can provide an alter, the alternative, an alternative perspective, an alternative way of, yeah. of doing things that's more appropriate for the larger constituency. Right. Um, you know, um, but I guess, you know, this Falwell story, I just, it just rubs me the wrong way. I know I'm circling back on it, but it just rubs me the wrong way, this guy. Yeah. yeah. My, well, only not... my faith matters in politics is yeah. what he's essentially saying. And if you're not a lot in alignment with me, then you're a jerk. Yeah. It's, it's not Take so. Your politics to yourself. It's not so surprising. <sighs> yeah, but it's a real, so he's a member of your tribe. Yeah. And here's the, here's the problem as a member of your tribe. You know, it's, and I understand that, that the diversity in your community, it's very similar to the diversity in the Muslim community. Uh-huh. It's just, it's a terrible thing. It's an anti-religious freedom thing to say. It's just. Yeah, it is. That, that like, is true. It, That's very true. It's, it's like, it's like, you know, oh, you don't agree with me. Oh, you're a different religion. Yeah. Oh, your, your religious views are this. Keep it to yourself. Well, and for those of us who, for those of us who really do want Americans to let their faith influence their public square activity, AKA religious freedom. Uh, that makes our job all the more difficult uh, when someone like Falwell Jr. spouts off like this and tries to exclude one person uh, from bringing his faith to bear in the public arena when he clearly does so or claims to do so um, from his own vantage point. Um, it leaves people with a distaste for uh, religion and politics and uh, frankly gives an arm up to the secularists who just want to obscure religious thought and the influence of faith in the public square. Okay. That's my soapbox. That's your soapbox? That's my soapbox. All right. Can we, can we, uh, maybe we can shift some to something that's really important to me. Okay. What? 
the Holy Land experience in in, in Florida. Oh. <laughs> this is not really important to you. <laughs> they crucified Jesus every day. Uh-huh. There. Isn't this blasphemous? Uh, I mean, I haven't seen it, so I can't. Yeah, just, speaking just from lake. ignorance, just, just, sit the, just sit the lake. It's just great. Interesting. I mean, the, I mean, there's a there's a long tradition within uh, the Christian faith to reenact what they called the Passion, which is basically the last days of right. Christ. So, if this is in keeping with that, then I don't see it as blasphemous. But it, you know, I. I so there's a town. The devil is in the, in the details. The devil is in the like details. <laughs> I do, I do. All right, so because you, you know, I know you're going on a vacation in the coming coming year to Florida. It's not to the Probably it's not, not to the Holy Land experience where Probably where the true not. heroes live. No, uh, not, your, not your jam. Yeah, religiously themed amusement parks would make me uncomfortable. Why is why is that? Uh, there's a commercialization to it. I'm not, I'm not right. saying like so, they shouldn't or that this particular expression of it is uh, a problem. I haven't seen it, but uh, the when the way these things tend to go, it, it tends to be um, more of a economic, you know, marketing kind of thing. But I mean, you know, look, okay. you know, to giving okay. them credit, you know, I haven't seen the thing. There could be value in. You know, not everybody can go to Israel and uh, not everybody can go to Jerusalem. So if they getting to Orlando is quite a bit easier and and already, you know, it's, it's already geography. That's a draw for people. So, you know, if it's, if it's teaching some people about history in a credible way and, and the biblical story, I don't have a problem with that. It's just kind of the, it just kind of in Orlando, it had you know the vacation amusement park thing. Uh, it just kind of like uh, makes me shudder a little bit, but I'm hesitant also to pass judgment without actually knowing about it. A, yeah, a tempered, tempered response. very uncontroversial. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as someone who likes to dress in cultural clothes and. You'd probably, whole business. you'd probably have a lot I, of fun I, there. I think I'd really knows, enjoy maybe, it, to be honest with you. To who be, knows? Maybe, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll develop a, uh, an opportunity to record, record a podcast on location. That could be cool. Yeah, I think, and, you know, what, what a great sponsor. If they clearly have funds, yeah. so maybe they're a good sponsor for the show. I think, and they've I been open for they, almost 20 years. Yeah, they opened I'm in 2001. Of, That's cool. They're the real deal. I, I don't know. They have a beside, behind the scenes. Mm, it's, yeah. It seems very... You got exhibits on all fourth, kinds of stuff. Fourth largest assembly of biblically related artifacts in the world. Some are over 4,000 years old. That's cool. Yeah, they've got a lot of artifacts and stuff, which, and then they've got these, these shows look very entertaining. I'll be honest with you. I, 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 I like this whole uh-huh. dance in front of the temple situation. I don't know what's going on, but it seems like the yeah. Sanhedrin's doing a little dance. <laughs> you know, I just, it appears that way. I don't know. You know, you know. Um, and there's a lot of this hand projected out and rising yeah, to the sure. to the clouds. Yeah. There's a lot of that going on. I don't know what that you know. It's, it's it just seems like a cool place. 
To be honest with you, it seems pretty cool. Yeah. I wonder what the food's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First thing, first thing out of my are they gonna are they gonna have uh, uh, authentic cuisine from uh, the Holy Land style cuisine? I mean, they got all kinds of experiences. I don't know behind the scenes live shows. So well, anyway, here you so, go. Here, but shop, you never... shopping and dining. There you go. Where do you see that? So it's, a, see it's a drop down link at the top. Dining. Oh, oh. see, and then they've got a picture of a burger on the front. Doesn't really help. They got Esther's, Martha's, Martha's kitchen. I see. It would have. It would have been really Banquet funny. If, yeah, it would have been really funny if they had like Last the two snack. brothers, Cain and Abel. You know. Yeah. yeah. You know, like Church, you know, Church of All Church of All Nations Bistro. Right. All right. You know, Cain's kitchen. It could be all the stuff that's deep fried. <laughs> you know. Come on. I think that would be a good one. All right. It's so, like uh, the Museum of the Bible has got the Museum of the Bible has got the uh, was it the Milk and Honey Cafe, which is clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is that's that is clever. So, I think uh, you know they need to have a lazy river with the little arcs. Right. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm glad glad we got that very important topic off your chest. I'm sorry. I just like you know. So I haven't uh, the seen shop is the bookshop is ex libres, which means you know from the library from, uh-huh. and then the other one is Solomon's Treasures is the gift shop. That's cool. There you go. Okay, what were you saying? Well, on the politics thing, I haven't seen any uh, polling. Do you have anecdotal or any data that indicate what American Muslims are thinking about uh, the election cycle right now? Do they have opinions on the Democrat primary candidates? As the I mean, as the, as, the, as the guy who brought the first multi-sectional group of Muslims into the White House, this was about a year ago. Uh-huh. Now, there were Muslims that would go into the White House, but not as a group. It was the first engagement of what you could call the, you know, the, the solid sort of leadership from the different sects into the White House about a year, year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, you know, Muslims are generally conservative. Uh, and generally in alignment with a lot of the values of con- conservative Republicans. Right. So now, that was that was true up until post 9-11 political world. Yeah, even. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, most of the post 9-11, you know, world Muslims were is it was the idea was. It's it's, it's a I mean, I would say it's complex waters, but the. Obama administration engaged Muslims pretty heavily, um, but they were engaging traditionalists yeah. uh, and really conservative Muslims, um, Muslim Brotherhood, Wahhabis. Mm. You know, we, the struggle in America is that for 50 years, 60 years, the most well-funded NGOs in Washington, D.C. have all been conservative Sunni Muslims, Muslim organizations, right? Where they interpret religious text, define what a Muslim is, and then they tell you how to be a Muslim. Uh-huh. So um, in the last 10 years, there's been a, and the Obama administration would engage them heavily and would interact very heavily with them, uh, the Dems in general. The In the last 10 years, there's been a sort of renaissance of, this, a, a real growth in the diversification and specialization of Muslim NGOs. Okay. 
So um, there's essentially uh, a Muslim or NGO for whatever kind of Muslim you are. <laughs> uh, and whatever you're into, if you're a Muslim that's into conservation, there's there's an organization now. Um, if you're a, a cultural Muslim, much like a cultural Christian, you know, you grew up Muslim, but you're not really practicing. Yeah. Eh, there's, there's an organization for you. You know, um, I I would argue that the American Islamic Congress, which was the alternate voice for Muslims for years, and there was nobody else on the other side. Yeah. Still a conservative organization. Um, and, you know, this whole thing, you know, even like with LGBTQ and stuff like that, it, it, you know, if you adhere to Islam, self to self, self, uh, what's it called? Uh, self-identified, practiced Islam, you did your thing. Look, we didn't interpret religious texts. We didn't define what a Muslim is. And we didn't, we didn't tell you to be a Muslim. But I think the challenge is getting back to your question is that one is, I don't think Muslims have moved very far in their conservativeness and, and. I'm using that term only because, unlike other, unlike a lot of other religions out there, it's it's you know there's good and there's bad in Islam. Um, so there's certain maxims you have to adhere to, and so I would say that most Muslims generally have a conservative mindset, um, only because they practice submission to God, and therefore there's. You don't have to guess. There's a very explicit yeah. rules on how to interact with the world. Sure. Um, so I think that that's most Muslims are conservative, but there's much more diversification out there uh, with the different constituencies within Islam. And you know, there's only 10 million of us. So generally, you're follow, you're looking at like sort of an 80-20 split. I would say about 80% of Muslims in America are probably conservative in mindset, aligned with a, with, with a conservative political mindset. Yeah. Although they might be rubbed the wrong way by, you know, Islamophobia and anti-Muslim this and that and so forth, yeah. um, they still believe conservatively. And uh, maybe twenty percent that are sort of on the liberal side. That doesn't mean that they're cultural Muslims. That means they might be practicing, but they are liberal yeah. in a, in the sense with they will align themselves with the Democrats. Yeah. Um, will Will they participate in this kind of election where uh, someone like Trump is up for re-election versus? Fill in the blank, Democrat. Considering where the party well, is right now, I mean, will will they still participate and go one way or the other, or will they will they just kind of sit out? Well, I'll just just speak facts. About ten million Muslims in the country. Um, of the ten million Muslims that are in the country, uh, just over half, about six million of them vote. Okay. So, which is That's pretty which good. Is, oh yeah, well, more than evangelicals you, as a as a body or as a percentage. Yeah, and we we so that's number one. Number two is that we have like the lowest pay gap between of any religion. So our men and women are the lowest gap between what they earn. Okay. Um, and we're the highest educate one of the highest education, I think number two, I think, highest education religious group, educated religious group in the country. So and then you have the, the different constituencies uh, within Islam. So Sunni Shia, I don't think that the sects come into bear too much. Uh -huh. um, although the more the president panders to the Saudis, the more it makes the entire Muslim community very nervous. But I think that you have the different constituencies, like 25% of the American Muslim community, 25% is our African American Muslims, not okay. Muslims from Africa, but right, right. African Americans. So their issues 
Um, the issues with that community are very, very specific. A lot of it has to deal with social services. Yeah. A lot of it has to deal with um, you know, cultural and ethnic issues related to the history and, and struggle of the African-American in our country. Right. All right. Um, 30%, the largest part of the constituency are, are South Asian, Southeast Asian Muslims. Okay. You're Indonesian yeah. and so forth. Yeah. And so, you know, if in, they are very, very in, much in tune with, and they're moderate Muslims, very much in tune with uh, uh, what's happening in, the, in Asia Pacific. So if something happens in that region, it will affect their interaction with the election. Sure. Um, but they are very civil, civic minded in, in how they interact with government. Um, about 16% are Arab American Muslims. And what's interesting huh. is that Arab. That's a lot less than I would have guessed. Yeah. But it gets slower. It gets smaller every year. Huh. Um, it gets <laughs> like, smaller every year. Yeah. That because of travel bans. Well, it's, well, but well, they're just not, they're just not, they're not procreating as much and, and the, yeah. and they're getting out numbered by the infusion sure, of sure. Asian Muslims, Central Asian Muslims, you know, um, converts, European Muslims, you know, so, yeah. so they're just getting, you know, their, their, their numbers get smaller and smaller every year, but they've, yeah, sure. they're, they're the group that for 60 years had a stranglehold on representing American Muslims in America um, right. yeah. and uh, through their NGOs. And so, and it, interestingly enough, a lot of Christian, like Arab Christians from different countries align themselves with the Arab Muslims and they coalesce into, into, into the same organizations or at least have sort of strategic partnerships yeah, interesting. Um, in how, in how they do this. So, so they use that as a force multiplier. So let's just say there's only 16% of the American Muslim constituency is Arab American Arab Muslims, they will align themselves with Arab Christians yeah. of different sects and and double their numbers sure. in their voting block. Um, I, I mean, these are rough, this is rough. Yeah, numbers, sure. Sort of well, rough, I, I, I poked around. I'm gonna have to reach out to someone at Pew because they have from January 31st um, polling on the Democrat on the Democrat primaries. Among Democrats, uh, and it has religious phase, but no Muslim polling. There's got to be a reason for that. Well, I mean, I mean they've got I mean, they've got Jews, they've got unaffiliated, they've got atheists and agnostics. Even but <laughs> you're telling me they're more self-identifying agnostics than Muslims well, in the U.S. I guess maybe. I would have to say I'd have to say that first of all, they have the juice to engage Muslims because a lot of the numbers that come out of that I quote are Pew or Gallup, you know, they're either one of the two, you know, and, um, and then sometimes I'll have to qualify, but you know, it depends on who funded. It really depends on who funded that poll. Yeah. So um, as someone who worked for an entity that did polling, I, and I always sort of get to do this. I always sort of qualify this rant by, by this, uh, state the statement with, uh, with this this thing is that well it depends on who pays the pays for the poll sure and so they say we want multi faith blah 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 and we want these constituencies evaluated yeah. and if it's pulled if it was a, something that was funded by by Pew and they over overlooked the, the Muslim community that's 
a problem. Yeah. You know? um, but I, if, if someone paid for it to, to make sure that they had some kind of evaluation, it is, a, it is an issue because there's 10 million Jews in this country, there's 10 million Muslims in this country, and they are a substantial voting block. If you get the Jews and the Muslims, that's essentially 12 million votes, even though there's 10, 20 million between the two of them, 10 and 10, about 60% of our populations vote. So, um, so that's 12 million votes. And, you know, Trump won, won the swing states in with 80,000 votes. Yeah. You know, so, you know, if you have a 12 million person voting block that believes in conservatism, then, you know, it, it's worthwhile to engage them. But the answer is no, there's no, there's no hard polling data. My engagement has been most Muslims don't get that, how the, why the president hasn't thoughtfully engaged them. Yeah. I have had limited success, I, I, I got to admit, uh, with engaging the Muslim community with this, this administration. Um, it was much harder under the Obama administration, to be honest with you. Yeah. Obama had like their favorites, yeah. and they said, we're not talking to anybody else. Um, this, this administration, at, at least, uh, entertained a series of meetings with American Muslims from different sects, Sunni and Shia. Uh, and it was it was cautiously optimistic, and yeah. I think that I would characterize the conversations as being um, very informative uh, for the administration. The follow up, we're still waiting on some of the follow up. Sure. Um, I just I just pinged the White House uh, about two weeks ago, um, a week ago, about engagement with uh, with the, the the White House on spe some specific issues. Um, you know, if you're not at the table, you're at, if you're not eating at the table, you're being served for dinner. Is that the phrase? <laughs> if you're know. not at the table, know. if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Oh, that's it. Okay. That's I see. It. I that's know. the, that's the DC Washington insider line. Yeah. That's what it's about. It's, advocacy it's, yeah, and still, lobbying. I have such problems with that. You know, all those Southern phrases, you know, we talked about this, didn't we? At one point. It's that, that's one of as my favorites. Is, it's uh, is it? It's a good. As as it's as a good little. Uh, it's a good little lobbying proverb. It is. Yeah. What What is it again? If you're not, if you're, you're not, not at the table, you're, you're on the menu. Yeah. If you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Yeah, and so you know, it, it's and there's been just zero zero engagement. I mean, aside from what we've been doing, and there's a few sort of Muslim favorites that get to walk through the door. And one of the one I would say one of the most wonderful things about this presidency is that the usual suspects are not invited into the White House. So that narrative just isn't there, which is yeah. great. So um, and so it gives gives them the, the larger Muslim constituency um, the ability to engage. And and I if would they want to, if they take advantage of it. If they want to, and if they take advantage of it, but largely those, the usual suspects have really done a disservice to the Muslim community because they say they represent the Muslim community, but they don't. And I would, I would argue that no presidency in the, in the last 20 years has really effectively engaged the American Muslim constituency, period. Yeah. And so, and that's because there's sort of these people within the beltway that say that they represent the Muslim community that, yeah. that have ideas, but they really don't. They don't, they don't do that. And I'm not that. one of them. I'm, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, I always am a convener. I always, second I get a meeting or try to, or, or doing me say, this is, this is who I'd like to bring in. It's not, I'm not going to give you my opinion unless you solicit it. You need to talk to these people to make sure that you get 
a broad perspective of what's going on with American Muslim constituency. Well, and that's I, I think that's a fair ask of any presidential administration, regardless of party. You ought to be able to engage well, you a wide swath of Americans because once you're elected, you do represent all people, all, all Americans, right? And to be effective in governing and and accurate in your governing, even if, even if you're not going to agree with any given NGO or community, my goodness, you got to be familiar with the cross section of folks that you're governing. The, the president is and the and and his son-in-law are very close with MBS, uh, with the. Um, right, Mohammed Mohammed bin uh, uh, Salman, uh, you know, of Saudi Arabia. My my problem is that the Saudis have been able to drive domestic Muslim engagement, essentially advising the administration. Which I I think I just don't even know how that that yeah. can continue appropriately without. I don't think there's any way to, for it to, to even proceed appropriately. So you want the Saudis to, to talk. You, you want the Saudis are ally in the, in the in the Middle East. Okay, fine. I don't agree with the Saudis driving our foreign policy in the Middle East. I just don't agree with it. Right. You know, regardless of what you think about the Saudis' politics or religious beliefs or whatever it is, it does. You just can't. You need to engage the American Muslim constituency, which is the most diverse Muslim community on the planet. You think um, so? And it absolutely is. All right. It absolutely on the face of the earth. Uh, and corrected by comparison to, say, Southeast Asia places as far as diversity. But I'll take your word for it. So in, if, if Pew, Gallup, they all back this. The, the, and and it's, it's, is that the, it's the most diverse Muslim community on the planet. Meaning, ethnic, meaning ethnically and or... Uh, Culturally, ethnically, religiously... You know, so like sectionally, sectionally. So you have the most sects of Islam here. You have the most most groups from different countries of origin or places of origin, language groups. It's the most diverse. It's you know, so every sect of Islam exists here, where that's not true anywhere else in the world. Yeah, I can see that. You know. Yeah. So. Um, right. So so you're telling me that I'm sitting in a country with the most diverse population of Muslims in the world. And I couldn't find a real Muslim to do my podcast with me. True, that's very true. That's absolutely true. You know, um, you know. Settle for the I, fake and, one. I'll, I'll put um, yeah. I'll, I'll put the uh, link to an earlier episode of uh, Crossing Face in the show notes for people who don't understand what we're talking about. Yeah. Well, it's very easy. It's just because of nine eleven. We're all anybody can make a judgment on what Islam is and criticize an entire way of life and belief system. This has been Crossing Phase with Matt Hawkins and John Pinna, a podcast of Roll Top Productions. If you like what you hear and would like to help defray the cost of the show, consider sponsoring us on Patreon by visiting crossingphase.com. Crossing Phase is available on all your favorite podcast outlets, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and TuneIn. We'd appreciate your review of our program, especially in the iTunes store. Let us know what you think of the show via Twitter at MTHawk, at JT Pinna, or at Crossing Faiths. Music for this episode is courtesy Vajra, whose music is available at TheVajraTemple.com, Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon. Show notes for this episode and more are available at CrossingFaiths.com. 